Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today, we have Opal dietitian Kelly Finan here with us. Hi. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, we're so happy to have you. Today, we're going to be actually kind of debunking some specific diets. Mm -hmm. We are obviously anti-diet on this podcast, and somehow I think that in talking about how diets don't work, People often assume, well, what what about, I mean, what about this one? Or what about this lifestyle change? Or what about this? Mm-hmm. And paleo and Whole30 diets are two that I hear of often. Yeah. Yeah. They're two that are very popular right now. They're similar in what they are and what they involve. So can go hand in hand sometimes. So will you start us off by explaining what they are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So starting with paleo, the paleo diet or paleolithic diet. It's been around for a while, but it became really popular in early 2000s mm-hmm. when a book was published. And then it kind of took off from there, I think, just in popularity. So what the paleo diet is, is really, it can be broken down into four parts. The first is this idea or the belief that our modern diet or our, our agricultural diet today makes us chronically ill. So our diet has led to development of chronic disease. This, yeah. Yeah, that's a big claim. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually hadn't heard that that claim before mm-hmm, about it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so the idea with a paleo diet is that moving back to or adopting a diet that mimics the diet of our paleo ancestors from 10,000 years ago will lead to better health. The idea is that our, our ancestors' diet was really optimal for health and that our bodies are designed to be receiving that nutrition. So... With the paleo diet, you are already getting into some specifics around, Mm -hmm. like, what the actual rules are. Mm -hmm. And this is all based off of what our ancestors... Mm -hmm. Or the assumption or what we think we know. Oh, the assumption. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not even fact. Well, so that's debated, I think. Okay. There's some controversy around that. But before we talk about that, I just want to kind of step back and say kind of what foods really are avoided in the paleo diet. So with the paleo diet... You are avoiding all legumes, grains, dairy, potatoes, refined sugar, and refined vegetable oils. And the reason for this is just because of this belief that these foods only appeared after the agricultural revolution and are associated with inflammation and then the chronic diseases that are present in our society today. Are are we sure that chronic diseases are new? Mm. Especially we're not, if not so were sure. That's also debated. Killed by woolly mammoths, right? Probably pretty quickly. Yeah. So there's some recent studies <laughs> that have come out challenging that belief okay. that there was no chronic disease or or burden of disease in our paleo ancestors. So I think that's another hotly debated claim. Okay. of the paleo diet for sure. If people are concerned about that, I can understand the appeal. What are some other things that you are aware of that people find appealing about mm-hmm. a diet like this? Kind of one of the main things is just the assumption that our bodies are going to be best suited to be eating what we've evolved to eat. So the idea that it's returning to our roots or returning to what our ancestors ate and that being really beneficial for health because it's real food or mm. or it's simple foods that have been around for a long time that we know are beneficial for health. Another motivation or reason for paleo might also be wanting a way to improve health or avoid 
chronic disease. So it's like a quick fix. It's a really clear, clear recommendations for what to eat, what not to eat. And so it can be really promising or hold a lot of promise for how it can improve health. Because there's so much structure to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, so clear and specific that you would have kind of a clear idea of what to do. To Back to basics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me to think about a diet being so attractive because it puts us back into this sort of like baseline mm-hmm. of what our bodies are supposed to need. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, speaks to some larger mm-hmm. things that I'm sure we can get into. Yeah. But. yeah, definitely. I think just with all the different sources and just different nutrition info out there today, it can be really confusing to know what to eat or what's okay, what's not okay. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, returning to something simple is really attractive. Absolutely. So considering that we don't actually know what our Paleolithic ancestors ate, Mm -hmm. how are we getting this information? And Mm -hmm. what do you think? Do you think it's Mm -hmm. a good guess? Yeah. Yeah. So the paleo diet that's often advertised or, or talked about is based on this idea that we know what our paleo ancestors ate and we know what things they avoided. But the research is really showing or what we know about our paleo ancestors is that there's no one paleo diet. So the fact that we're talking about the paleo diet instead of paleo diets in the plural is problematic because there are many, many paleo diets. When people spread out throughout the world and colonize the continents, they ate the local food. And of course, that was really variable. It really was different foods for different populations. And there's no one set paleo diet which stands against kind of the recommended paleo diet that exists today. Which is such a much more narrow definition Mm -hmm. of what that is. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more specific and rigid, I think. And another thing, too, I I would say is more recent evidence or, or kind of findings show that paleo people did consume grains, but the paleo diet's recommending no grain consumption. So archaeological findings show that Paleo people consume grains, and those findings are from starch grains that were recovered from dental calculus is what it's called, oh, but wow. evidence of grain consumption there, and then also surface of, of tools that were used by paleo people. So so we know they were consuming and, and using grains, but the paleo diet today is still recommending we avoid those. <laughs> I feel I like getting some of these details. I'm like, this feels like a little bit of a scam. Mm-hmm. Is that too dramatic? It, there's just such controversy around it. And so the way the paleo diet is talked about and advertised, I think it would be easy to believe that our paleo people didn't consume grains because of the way that it's talked about. So it's hard to know the evidence against it unless you really do the digging. So is there evidence when it comes to the Whole30 diet? Mm, the Whole30 diet actually, interestingly, was ranked 39 out of 40 on the U.S. News and World Report kind of annual diet rankings list. One of the key reasons for that ranking was really the lack of research. And then they also say it has nonsensical claims and is extreme and restrictive. So there isn't strong research for a lot of the recommendations with Whole30. Okay. So what are some of the top recommendations within Whole30 that maybe fit in that category of not being Mm -hmm. well-researched? One is that it's necessary to avoid legumes because of the phytate content. So they say that you should be consuming lots of fruits and vegetables, but no legumes because of the phytates, which are these anti-nutrients or prevent uptake of certain nutrients in the food. But that's not limited to grains or legumes. Those also exist in a lot of leafy greens. 
So many of the foods promoted by Whole30, like kale, for example, have even more phytates than legumes. Okay. So that's one where it's kind of, it, it's confusing because they recommend one thing for one reason and then they say to avoid something for the same exact reason. Okay, so phytates seem to be in and out, <laughs> but mm-hmm. like what are some of the other general rules of Whole30? What are the guidelines? Yeah, a couple of them include avoiding all added sugars, avoiding alcohol in any form, avoiding all grains, all legumes, and then all dairy. And then they also say to avoid baked goods, junk foods, and treats. And their mantra is, when in doubt, leave it out. It's only 30 days. So that's kind of the approach to have with Whole30 is just if you have questions about it or questions about the ingredients or whether it would align with Whole30, you should just avoid it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But some of the evidence for why they have these recommendations for grains specifically, they say that grains have problematic proteins like gluten. So no one should be consuming grains. Hmm. However, what we know is that it can be recommended or necessary to limit or avoid grains if medically indicated. So if one has like celiac disease, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, or wheat allergy, then it could be recommended. But that's only about 10% of the population. Okay. So the fact that Whole30 is recommending no grains for everyone, that isn't necessary at all. Mm. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So it's striking to me to have this sense of like, if you're in doubt, just leave it out. Mm -hmm. I had read somewhere as well that one of the recommendations of a Whole30 is to not weigh yourself or anything Mm -hmm. um, while you're doing it. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like there are these big lifestyle changes Mm -hmm. and claims that it's offering. And yet also some things that look a little bit attuned in a way almost Mm -hmm. like it's protecting your yeah it's overall wellness focused or bigger picture of health focused and i think that applies to both paleo and whole 30 paleo especially is meant to be a lifestyle change but whole 30 yeah they do recommend not weighing yourself during the 30 days they do encourage weighing yourself at the beginning and the end of the 30 days so you can see the the benefits for weight they say But the reason they say not to weigh during the 30 days is because it's about more than weight loss. So they think that there will be benefits for health and wellness outside of weight. Okay. So it's asking you to sort of just like hang in there and Mm -hmm. experience all the different adjustments to your Mm -hmm. diet for what they are. Mm -hmm. By weighing yourself or focusing on weight during the 30 days, you'd overlook the dramatic and lifelong benefits of Whole30. So this sounds like an elimination diet Mm -hmm. in some ways. I've heard that phrase thrown around before. Would you consider this a true elimination diet or Mm. is it, what is it? It is an elimination diet because they're recommending elimination of these food groups. But I think that's problematic to think about it like that because there are medically recommended or medically appropriate elimination diets that have been used, but those should be under the supervision of a doctor or A medical team. So I think people going about this elimination diet on their own when there really isn't maybe a need for the elimination of these food groups, that's problematic for health. What would happen health-wise that would be problematic? Yeah. So I think nutritionally speaking, there's a few nutrients of concern just with the, the foods that you're avoiding with Whole30. If you're avoiding dairy, it can be really hard to get adequate amounts of calcium, vitamin D, Legumes, we know those are excellent sources of protein fiber, 
and other nutrients. And then for grains, that's an inexpensive staple food for a lot of populations, but it also is a great source of B vitamins and fiber and antioxidants and okay. supports gut health. That yeah. sounds like an ironic, mm-hmm. particularly around yeah. grains. Most yeah. people think the opposite. Right. I know. Yeah. So I think unless it's medically indicated, this type of elimination diet really isn't going to be supportive of health. Okay. And I think another problematic thing with Whole32 is it's meant to be 30 days, and then they recommend you reintroduce the foods to figure out what's problematic or what's triggering for symptoms for you and to find out what you should avoid lifelong. But oftentimes, Whole30 is continued for longer than 30 days, and then that leads to even greater risk of nutrient deficiencies for the calcium, vitamin D, things like that. I know that when reintroducing foods back into your diet, there might actually sometimes be a bit of a gut disturbance Mm -hmm. because the food has been gone for a little while. Mm -hmm. Is that scientifically correct? Well, so I think if you're avoiding food for a period of time or for a while and then reintroducing it, you might have some GI symptoms or just uncomfortable digestive symptoms as your digestive system is kind of relearning how to digest that food or being exposed to that food again. Because you don't have the enzymes to digest it. Right, yeah. So then that's problematic because if you're reintroducing that food and you have symptoms, you might take that as, oh, I can't tolerate this or this is associated with negative outcomes. It can be avoided altogether. But really, it's just because you hadn't been eating it for a little while. Yeah, yeah. So you may be able to tolerate that food just fine and it could be really supportive of health. But it's those initial symptoms of reintroducing it that lead you to avoid it forever, which isn't great for both physical health and also having to avoid a food you might like. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Okay. So you had just said something about how wheat is actually a really affordable food Mm -hmm. for a lot of people to eat. Yeah. Yeah. It's a staple food. So that made me think about how not just uh, nutritionally restrictive this diet could be, but how difficult it would to actually be to maintain this diet Mm. socially, socioeconomically, et cetera. Yeah. So I think um, one main concern is just the cost of following these diets. So a lot of the foods that are recommended are more expensive. So things that are grass-fed beef, for example, or organic fruits and vegetables, those are just typically more expensive. So it can be really exclusive in that sense that you'd have to be able to afford these diets in order to follow them. And then another concern is just how it would impact life or how it would impact your ability to be in your life. So it can be really hard to find a Whole30 dinner at a restaurant with friends. So that might prevent you from even going out with friends or being able to eat in public. The rules are so rigid that it, I think, impacts other areas of your life beyond food, for sure. Wow. And then another concern, especially with paleo, is just the environmental impact. So one article suggested that it would have a huge negative impact on the environment to follow the paleo diet. So to procure the wild plants and animals required for sustenance really depends a lot on the space per person. And the research in this article showed that for the current human population to eat the way the paleo diet recommends, that would require about 15 times the surface area of the planet. So... Our current population can't really, we can't all follow the paleo diet. Which is striking to me because I often will hear about diets or lifestyle changes that really celebrate kind of the environmental Mm -hmm. benefit. 
vegetarianism has an environmental benefit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so this one, though it claims to kind of go back to basics, it doesn't really take into account the fact that our population is larger or right. our industry is really different now. Mm-hmm. And just we are different, right? So like right. with evolution, there's been genetic changes. So we are not the, the same as our ancestors and, and the food system is not the same. So there's definitely differences in, in food availability and, and what our bodies need and what's available with food. Like when we talk about diets and we're talking about different restrictions and and the Whole30 diet and the paleo diet have these kind of rules and we're debunking some of those Mm -hmm. rules, I think I always want to end with what do people do instead? If this is so attractive and kind of going back to basics Mm -hmm. is so attractive, what do people do? Yeah, this is where I I think attunement or or intuitive eating is so – important and just so valuable as a way of getting back to basics because you're eating according to hunger fullness cues and you're honoring your body's needs, but you're not following really rigid, strict diet rules. It's not a diet, but it's a way of honoring what your body needs and getting back to the basic hunger fullness attunement. My my maybe devil's advocate question, and that would be that, you know, a diet like Whole30 kind of sounds like a cleanse or Mm -hmm. a version of a cleanse. And so I understand that to be something that you would kind of want to be able to do in order to come back to a baseline Mm -hmm. to then be attuned or to be kind of in a better spot, quote unquote, to then make the next decisions in front of you because you've suddenly, you know, not had the pancake or whatever. So when you're in a place of attunement, is there sort of like a baseline? Equivalent? We know that our bodies don't require dietary cleanses. So we have organs that can do the cleansing. And this idea of a reset actually, I think, disconnects you from your body's hungerfulness cues and the attunement work. So I think instead coming to a place of just honoring what your preferences are, honoring cravings and honoring hungerfulness cues, that will allow you to eat in a way that's best supportive of health or to have a diet that's sustainable long term. A lot of the fad diets are really advertised as these quick fixes or or resets, but our bodies don't need those resets. That idea in itself is problematic to say that we need a reset or a cleanse. Which is, I think, a revolutionary thought, honestly, yeah. right now, because most people would not know that. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, with the new year just happening. And I think this is a time when they're so popular, but what we find with that is that those diets usually fail. And then you're back to square one thinking of what diets try next. And instead of trying the diets, I would suggest just doing the work to honor cues and preferences with food. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, it's so great to be on here and talk about these two fad diets. If you have any more questions or want to learn a little bit more about the information we presented today around Whole30 and Paleo, just take a look at the description box below on your podcast app and you will find some links to some more resources for you. Thanks to Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. 
If you would like to learn more about Opal, both just to connect or if you're feeling like you need some more resources in your relationship to food or exercise, please go to opalfoodandbody.com. We would love to be in touch. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us next time. Thanks. Thanks.